I'd like to read this passage of Scripture for us. We're looking at verses 11 to 14, and would you follow along? Paul writes that in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these wonderful truths that we are going to look at today that talk about our salvation. That there was that time in our life when we heard the word of truth and it was united to our heart. You opened our eyes to see the living Christ. And we came to place our faith and our trust in you as our Savior and Lord. And Father, what a great joy that is. And how good it is to be reminded of these things as we come to look at your word this morning. And Father, I pray that if there's someone here today who's never come into that kind of relationship with you, that you would speak very clearly this morning through what I share. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last summer, Matt, our oldest son, and I took uh, his boys, Luke and Will, on a fishing trip. And it was a pretty exciting time. Uh, Matt is a pastor down in Kansas, and he really misses the lakes in Minnesota, the hardwood forests that we have up here and the bigger lakes and the great fishing, all of those kind of things. So we made plans to go uh, on a fishing trip up to a cabin real close to the Canadian border. And uh, to kind of prepare the boys for this trip, you know, Matt was telling them some of the things that they were going to see on the way. You know, we're going to drive up next to this really big lake, Lake Superior. It's kind of like looking at an ocean. Uh, we're going to stop at some beaches on the way where you can uh, skip rocks in the water, and they're like, ooh, you know, and uh, we're going to see some waterfalls, and then we're going to stop at a place that's called Sven and Oli's for some pizza, and they're like, yay, pizza, and then we're going to pick up some bait at a fishing store that actually has a big walleye right through the roof. If you know, if you've been to Grand Marais, you know what I mean, and then uh, we continued on up to the cabin. And to top it all off, on one of the days, we're going to come back into town and we're going to get donuts at the world's best donut shop. And so these guys, they were pumped. I mean, they were excited. They had their little fishing rods with them. They had a, a couple of pop guns they had gotten at Cabela's because Matt had told them we might see a black bear too, so they wanted to be ready. And they, they were armed and loaded for everything, you know. So all the way up, we're driving in the car, and pop guns are going off behind my head you know, as they're going through this. And they're like, yay, the lake. We're going to the lake, you know, and they were super excited. Well... Now, here's the deal. They had never been there before. They had never seen this place that we were going to. But how did they know it was real? They trusted their father. They believed that what he was telling them was true. And I think about that in terms of this passage where we're going through Ephesians and we are reading about these things that God has prepared for us that are just so amazing. 
I mean, we have been talking about how God's great plan is to bring everything in heaven and on earth into unity and harmony under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty awesome thing. I mean, the day is coming when God is going to make all things new. And he said, you can write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. That there's a, a day coming when we will live in a world in which there'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All of those things are part of this present world, but they're not part of that world that is to come. And you can trust me on this, he said. Jesus himself said, In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and I will come and take you to be with me so that you may be there forever. How do we know it's real? We trust our Father, and we believe that what he has said is true. And how do we know that we will share in that day? Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. What we have seen here in Paul's opening statements are that all three members of the Trinity are involved in our salvation. God the Father planned it in eternity past. And we've seen how Jesus Christ, God the Son, is the one who accomplishes our salvation by his sinless life, by his death and his resurrection. And it is God the Holy Spirit who then applies that finished work of Christ to our life when we place our trust in Jesus. This passage, these few verses, are really a rich statement of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. It's not exhaustive. It's not everything that the Holy Spirit does. But there are five points that I'm going to mention this morning that are the work of the Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit is at work in our salvation. One of the key phrases that is repeated throughout this letter is the phrase, in him or in Christ. It occurs 164 times in Paul's letters. It's one of his favorite ways to designate what it means to be a believer. I mean, we use the word Christian to self-describe ourselves, or people will use that, but we understand that sometimes there are people that are Christian in name only. It's, it's a nominal usage. Or there are people who say, oh yeah, I guess I believe in Jesus, but does it really show in their life? And perhaps a better description of someone if they genuinely are, are a believer is to say that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Because if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you will live differently. I mean, the place where we all want to be is to that point where we would say of Jesus that he's the most important person in my life. That everything I do, I want to do to honor him. I want to give him everything in my life. I want to live for him. I want to use the days that I've been given in a way that honors him. I want to use my gifts, my resources, the things that he has entrusted to me in a way that honors him because I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And that is so important because these promises that we are talking about here in this opening passage are for those who are in Christ. 
And so Paul says, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God has this great plan. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world that we would become part of his family. And the first work of the Holy Spirit then is to convict us of our sin and to show us our need for Christ. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And that's, that's what he does. And he makes people uncomfortable. He makes us uncomfortable. There was a time when he opened our eyes to see our sin and that what we deserved was death. We were rebels. We were living apart from God. We were going our own way with no desire to follow him. And he spoke by the Holy Spirit to bring conviction of our sin. You know, that work is so important because no amount of speaking or persuasion on our part can make someone a Christian. We can't push anyone into the kingdom of God. We can't make someone believe if they don't want to believe that is the work of the Holy Spirit who enables us to hear God's call and respond. Theologians make a distinction between two different terms, the gospel call and the effective call. The gospel call is what you and I do when we share the gospel. It's what I do when I'm preaching about Christ and giving an invitation. It's what you do when you tell someone about Jesus and how they can come to know him. The effective call is what the Holy Spirit does. When he opens our eyes to see and to hear that message and to believe, to respond in faith. And both are necessary I mean, Paul writes, how are people going to hear unless someone tells them about Jesus? How are those who are living in other countries as well as in our own country going to hear about Jesus unless people go and make the sacrifices to bring them the good news of the gospel? Or unless you and I share Christ with a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, or those that we come in contact with, how are they going to hear it? And yet it is that work of the Holy Spirit that is absolutely essential to open our eyes to respond to the truth. And that's what happened to the Ephesians in verse 13 when Paul says that you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed. You came to put your trust in Jesus too. Sometimes that takes a long time for it to happen. Francis Chan was sharing this story about his teenage daughter, and he said, I cannot make someone fall in love with Jesus. It really came home for me, he said, with my own teenage daughter who 18 months ago was not in love with Jesus. I spent nights crying bawling, praying to the Lord. Here I am, known for my ability to communicate, but there was nothing I could do to make my own daughter fall in love with Jesus. Of course, I could guide her, I could lead her, I could try everything that I could in my own efforts, but I was powerless to convict her. And I prayed, God, either your spirit comes into her or your spirit doesn't. It doesn't matter how great a dad I am, I cannot bring her to life. 
to saving faith. And one day she came into my room and she said, you were right, Dad. The Holy Spirit was not in me, but now he is. And she talked about how near she was to God and how everything had changed. And my wife and I were skeptical. We wanted to see evidence of change. But 18 months later, I can say that she really is a new creation in Christ. And I didn't do that. It was the Holy Spirit. It's why we as parents need to pray for our children and grandchildren that God would do that work that only he can do. And that God would bring uh, believers into the lives of our family members if they don't know Christ, who could be an encouragement, who could be people that God would use to share that good news. But ultimately what we're praying is, God, would you open their eyes to see and fall in love with Jesus Christ. Secondly, the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. Two times in this passage, Paul writes that our salvation is to the praise of his glory. In verse 12, he says that, that that our salvation is to the glory of Christ. And in verse 14, he says that, that when this great day comes, that day of redemption, And those who belong to Christ are revealed. It will be to the praise of his glory. We were created to bring God glory. And the second work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. Jesus said that in John 15, verse 26. He said, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He's going to bear witness to Jesus. He's going to point others to Jesus. He said again in John 16, verse 14, that he will glorify me, or he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. He's going to bring Jesus' glory by bringing to mind the Scripture, by opening your eyes to see it and to hear the message. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to point others to Jesus. That's why movements that focus on the Holy Spirit or, or sometimes there'll be churches or movements that get off on the gifts of the Spirit or they'll focus and make much about certain signs and wonders and demonstrations of the Spirit. It's why those movements are really misplaced, misguided, if you will, and sometimes they're even heretical. Because they're putting the focus in the wrong place. The Holy Spirit came not to call attention to himself, but to Jesus. It's Jesus who died for us. It's Jesus in whom we need to place our trust as our Savior and Lord if we are to come into a relationship with God. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to help us to do that. So just as the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, so the aim of our life should be to glorify Christ and help others to know him too. A number of years ago now, I was looking back at this, and it was actually 15 years ago that Kurt Warner uh, was a quarterback for the St. Louis Rams, and he had one of the most amazing seasons in uh, the NFL history. He went from stocking shelves in a grocery store to being a Super Bowl MVP all in one season. And it's an amazing thing. I mean, the Rams had hired Trent Green, who was going to be their starting quarterback. They gave him a multi-million dollar contract. 
and they gave Kurt the league minimum for a second-year player of $250,000. Still a lot of money, but the league minimum. All right, in a preseason game, Green got hurt. That allowed Kurt Warner to step into that role as a starting quarterback and show what you've got. And show what he got, he did. He was named the NFL's most valuable player that season, and also he was the MVP of the Super Bowl. He had a phenomenal year. Very few quarterbacks have ever thrown for as many touchdowns in a season as he did that year. And on October 15, 1999, on the stage of the Billy Graham crusade that was held in the same dome where the Rams played their home games, Kurt Warner announced to a crowd of 40,000 people there. He said, who am I? I am a devout Christian man. I am not a football player. That is what I do. And when I throw a touchdown pass, my thoughts are on how I can use this success on the field as a platform to glorify and praise my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. People often ask the secret of my success as a football player. He said, it has nothing to do with how I work out in the off-season or my diet. The secret of my success is simply Jesus Christ. What was he doing? He was taking from what God had given to him and using it as a platform to glorify Jesus Christ. All of us have been given gifts, skills, opportunities to thank and praise Jesus for what he has done in our life. If the Holy Spirit's work is to glorify Christ, then that's what we should do as well. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit brings unity to the church. One of the great themes in the letter to the Ephesians is God's plan to bring together Jews and Gentiles in the church, to make one new man out of the two. And he hints at that in verses 12 and 13 when he says that in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory, who were the first to hope in Christ? Well, that's the Jewish believers. And then he says, and you also were included in Christ. That's the Gentile believers. As this letter was circulated among those churches around Ephesus. And ultimately it includes we who believe in him today. Paul will talk about this even more when he gets to chapter 2. And we'll come to that in the weeks ahead. But at the time... Before Jesus came, Jews and Gentiles were separated, and there was hostility between them. But God made us one in Jesus Christ. He took these people that were living apart with this tension, this hostility between them, and in Christ, he brings us together as one. God's great plan is one day to bring together this great multitude of people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language group, that we would be one in Christ. And what I think about is that if that's God's plan for eternity, shouldn't the church reflect that diversity today? I mean, shouldn't the church reflect the diversity of the community in which they live? Or shouldn't the church reflect this larger body of Christ that includes those who are black and white or Asian and Latino, male and female? We are all one in Christ. 
And when we come together to worship the Lord with all of our diversity and there is unity, that is a beautiful thing. That's why I love to go on mission trips and to meet with believers from other parts of the world and to just hear them worship or to hear their stories of faith and to see that the way that God is working in them is really the same as he is working in us and in our church and we are partners together in the gospel. Uh, Every month we make a phone call down to Pastor Obispo in Guatemala. We'll do that again this week. And... uh, Uh, Gene helps me with the translation, and Jim is part of it from our missions team. And we have this conversation with Obispo, and it's always such a joy to hear what he's doing and what the church is doing there. And they appreciate so much our prayers and our encouragement. And we're hearing how they're reaching out in neighboring communities. And if there's a family that they meet that doesn't know Jesus, they'll ask them if they'd like to study the Scriptures together. And they'll begin a Bible study in their home and pretty soon other neighbors are coming and they have this small group that's meeting. And they continue to reach out like that to adults, teenagers, and children as they share the Word of God. And one of the statements Obispo has said to me at different times is he says how much he appreciates our calls and that we are not forgotten. We are not forgotten. You know, they're in a part of the world where they have very limited resources, some of the poorest of the poor living in Guatemala. And what we have been able to do and provide for them or to share with them in their work has just really blessed their church. And in turn, they pray for us and we are blessed. Recently, I've also been communicating with Pastor David Kiamu, who's an evangelical free church pastor in Liberia, Africa right in the center of the Ebola crisis. A few weeks back, he had sent me an email, and he said, we are afraid. Would you pray? A good friend of theirs, a pastor and his wife, had both died of Ebola. They were living there, and at that time, David said, you know, my wife Lucy feels like she's got a fever. I've been having severe headaches. They were afraid that they may have contracted this deadly disease as well and so we prayed and we sent that out to others we mobilized prayer and I want to thank you those who have prayed for him that he is doing much better and he and others that are working together are part of this team that are going out to educate people on how to prevent this disease and to make sure that they are careful and wash their hands and all those things but they are finding tremendous open doors for the gospel to share the good news about Jesus, and we share in that work as we pray. And today, in that same way, with the story I told you about the persecuted church in Southeast Asia, our hearts are joined with these brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer. And one day, in eternity, we're going to see them, and we're all going to be together around God's throne and worship Him. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand God's Word. Paul said they heard the Word of truth and believed, and that's the way that it works for us as well. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to see and to understand the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, Paul said this. He said, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. 
for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I mean, he just, he doesn't get it. He reads it, and it's like this blank look on his face, or he didn't understand it. Maybe you remember when you felt that way too, and the Bible was confusing to you, or you didn't get it. And then comes this day when God opens your eyes, and you can put up the next part of the verse, where Paul says, but the spiritual man or woman makes judgments about all things, and that we have been given the mind of Christ, that when Christ is in us and we are in him, he's the one who opens our eyes and enables us to understand the Scripture. And this book becomes this living book. It's why there are times when maybe you've read a passage before, but that particular day something just strikes you and it stands out to you, and you go, why didn't I see that before? It's the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing to mind what Jesus has said, bringing to mind and confirming in our hearts that what God has said is true. And the Holy Spirit never speaks contrary to God's Word. That's why it's important that we always check what those promptings are that we are getting or even that we check what others are teaching. It's why it's important that we know the Scriptures because there are times when people will make statements and they'll say things as though this is what God wants them to do, which really aren't according to God's Word. I mean, I get concerned about books or movements that, encouraging, that encourage listening to the voice within you. Without checking that on the Scripture, that can be a dangerous thing. The Holy Spirit does speak to us. He does prompt us to pray or to be obedient or to act in certain ways. But it is always in line with God's Scripture. So if someone comes and they say, you know, that, well, God told me I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, and they want to live their life independent from the church, that's not a word from God. I mean, you can become a Christian outside of the church through the witness of a friend or an individual who shares with you. But if you've truly been born again, you're going to want to be part of a body, a body of believers where you can hear the word, where you can fellowship together and use your gifts, a place where you can worship and grow and serve. That's in the book. In fact, the Scripture reminds us and tells us don't forsake meeting together as some even then were in the habit of doing but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Sometimes people will make statements too as though uh, a dishonest behavior is okay because God told me it was okay for me to do this in my work. Now that's not according to God's word. God wants us to live above reproach and to be an example to others in the way that we conduct our business or the way we lead our lives or live out our marriages and our family life. The Holy Spirit always leads us according to God's Word. And finally, the fifth one I'm going to share is that the Holy Spirit is God's down payment on what is to come. And this is the work of sealing that we see in verses 13 and 14. He said, Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You were marked in him with a seal. 
If you've noticed the cover of our bulletin, there's a seal that is there that's a, a big E on it for Ephesians, but it's an example of the kind of seal that we are talking about that would have been placed on documents at that time. Charles Hodge, in his commentary, points out that there are three purposes for a seal. A seal is used to confirm the genuineness of an object or a document, that this is the real thing. A seal is used to indicate ownership, that it belongs to me, it's my possession. Or a seal is used to make something secure like the guards did at the tomb of Jesus when they wanted to make it secure and they put a Roman seal on it. And all three of those things are true of us as believers. When we come to know Jesus and we have a relationship with him, we are sealed. That affirms our genuineness that we are a child of God. But it also indicates ownership, that we belong to God. We've been bought with a price. And thirdly, it also indicates that we are secure in him. That just as God brought us into a relationship with Christ, so he will one day bring us into his eternal kingdom. We are a child of God. We are part of his family. And we belong to him. Later in Ephesians, Paul will say that we were sealed for that day of redemption that is still to come. Well, along with that sealing that takes place, the Holy Spirit is also a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance. And the word that Paul used here means first installment. It's like the first payment. It's like what we do when we buy a house and we put down earnest money or we make that first payment. Or when you rent an apartment and they want some sort of deposit there to secure this place. That's what Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is. He is that deposit on what is to come. So how do we know that we belong to Jesus? Well, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to face life and death with confidence, to live for Christ, and when that day comes, to die in Christ with confidence. Louis Palau tells this story about a minister that he knew whose son was dying of cancer. His son was 28 years old, was married, and had two children. And he had gone to all of the specialists that he could see who examined him and told him that his cancer would take his life. Louis Palau said, I was a guest speaker at the minister's church on the Sunday that his son died early that morning. And this pastor who had suffered so much for two years, seeing his son slowly dying, was at perfect peace. And he described the last few hours that he spent with his son, and he said to him, his son had said, Dad, tonight I'm going to go to be with Jesus. And the father said to his son, David, aren't you lucky to get there before me? said, David, to think that tonight you will actually see Moses in person and Peter and Paul and John the Baptist is pretty amazing. And then his father said, but son, best of all, you're going to see the Lord Jesus. And when you see him, David, will you tell him that your father loves him very much? 
the reason this man had such tremendous peace when I spoke with him was that he knew that his son was going to be with the Lord Jesus in his presence, secure in him. And that's what knowing Jesus Christ will do for you, for me. It changes the way that we look at life. It changes the way that we look at death. It's why Paul could say, for me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. No wonder Paul writes that we should be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. Let him do his work in us. Give him everything that you've got. Surrender your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and let his Holy Spirit fill you and guide you and give you wisdom and boldness and power. May he give you his peace, a sense of his presence through all the circumstances of life. Live that way and you will have great hope. And God will use you to be a witness to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Thank you for his work of conviction, showing us our sin and leading us into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for the way that he is at work in us to glorify Christ. Thank you that he is the one who helps to bring unity to the church and to understand how much we need one another in the body of Christ. Thank you for the Holy Spirit's work in opening our eyes to understand the Scripture, to hear and to read and rejoice and delight in your truth. Thank you for the hope that we have because he lives in us, because of the assurance that the Spirit gives us that we are a child of God. And Father, would you help us to live each day in the fullness of your Spirit, to help others to know you and to continue to grow and bring glory to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.